Last week, we began a new series talking about faith and politics. We talked about how just like Jews living in Babylon or like Christians living in ancient Rome, we ourselves are exiles. And I believe as exiles, we have to avoid both the extreme of entanglement and the extreme of detachment. If I'm honest, I feel like as American Christians, there's a lot of us who have become entangled in Americanism. We have forgotten that our hope is not tied up in this country. Our hope is not tied up in who occupies the White House or who sits on the Supreme Court or who represents us in Congress. Our hope is in the one who sits on the throne, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But just as we try to avoid becoming entangled, we also have to try to avoid becoming detached. Our job is not simply to just sit and wait around for Jesus to show up and make everything right. Our job is to the best of our ability to seek the welfare of our neighbors, to do good to our neighbors, both locally, and nationally, and even globally, as we can. Our job is to do what is in others' best interests. But that's where things can get so messy, and that's where there could be so many disagreements about how do we engage? How do we faithfully engage? How do we really do what's in our neighbor's best interest? How do we really put their interests above our own? How do we do what is truly good for our neighbor? How do we do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith? What does that really look like? And one of the most difficult things is just discerning what's true sometimes. We obviously live in a world where our national media outlets have some bias to them, but even beyond that, we live in a world of social media where there is so much misinformation. There are so many conspiracy theories. There are so many downright lies. Not only are Christians falling victim to these lies and believing these lies, but Christians are also participating in spreading these lies. And that's something that should concern every single one of us. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Brian Simmons, who is a communications professor from Oklahoma Christian University. And he has some incredibly strong words to share with us about Christians believing what they hear, believing what they see, and sharing that with other people, and how we can practice better discernment, and how we can practice better discretion. I hope that you enjoy this conversation. First, just let me say thank you, Dr. Simmons, for, for being part of this conversation. I really appreciate it. We're doing a, a quarter right now talking about uh, faith yeah. and politics, especially, um, and so because your expertise is all about journalism and media and mass communication, I thought it'd be really helpful to get your perspective on how journalism and media and communication impacts and its importance in our political process and our culture. That's an important question to speak to, in particular this time. Historically, journalists have played what's been called a watchdog role meaning that the work they do is intended to keep an eye on politicians and on government. In fact, it's been called part of the checks and balances system. And that was especially true in the golden age of journalism and in, in investigative journalism with Watergate and things like that and uh, the Iran-Contra affair and whatnot. And I think it's fair to say that for many people, especially those that work in journalism, they see themselves as involved in noble work, meaning 
they think it's their job in part to speak truth to power and to shine the light on things that people in power might not otherwise want the light shined on. And so historically what's happened is that has allowed an opportunity for regular citizens uh, to know that in essence, there's someone looking over the shoulder of those that are in elected office or in high power and are evening things out a bit. Well, in the current political climate, that has been uh, contaminated to some extent by the rise of social media. Because as there are more voices in the marketplace, essentially anyone with a computer or a smartphone can contribute to the conversation, it's made that role harder for journalists to play. And while they still desire to play that, and while I think it's fair to say that the major media outlets, major newspapers in large cities, and certainly national news networks and things like that continue to play that role, in a sense, they are swimming against the tide of the many, many voices on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and other social media platforms where everyone has a voice. And so that makes it very difficult for anyone, and I think in particular people of faith, to try and sort through all that and make sense of it. But I think at the end of the day, there's still a very important role for journalists to play because although there is research that can document objectively that there are some biases to some of the more well-known national news networks or columnists or other voices in traditional journalism, the fact is those are still not nearly as biased as what you get with individuals that are typically turning to social media to have their voice heard in the political process. And so for me, I think that the voice of traditional journalists still carry more weight and are relatively, or at least comparatively, more trustworthy than what you might find out there on the internet or in the realm of social media. That's incredibly helpful. And you, you sort of already touched on this, this next question, but one of my biggest concerns is that we as, as Christians, as the church, practice good discernment. Um, and that can be incredibly hard because, like you said, there are so many voices. And whatever the issue is, right now we're in the midst of, of COVID and, and all of the, the research that's going on, and then everything that's being reported, and everything that's being discussed and talked about, there seems to be so much conflicting information. And regardless of the issue, whether it's the pandemic or anything else, you'll see one news source that says X, Y, and Z, and then the next moment you'll see something that says exactly the opposite. So in the midst of all of this, what are some things that Christians can do to be more discerning, to be able to discern truth from fiction or, or just facts from people's opinions? Let me give you a couple of rules of thumb that I think people might find helpful. The first of which is to say, speaking broadly, don't trust anything that comes from anyone through social media. And I say that in part because there is no gatekeeper to what appears on social media. Uh, this past quarter, uh, Facebook took down 7 million different posts because they found that the information in those posts was flat out wrong as that information spoke to the COVID-19 pandemic. It was just flat out wrong. And so therefore they took those posts down. Now that's an example of a private company, uh, a for-profit business trying to do its best to weed out truth from fiction. And social media, because it gives anyone a voice, is inherently the kind of an operation that allows people that have no idea what they're talking about to say something. 
And so the rule of thumb that says don't trust anything through social media, I think is a very helpful one to adhere to. And I would in include in that not to trust the kinds of posts that are forwarded to you from Facebook or not to trust someone in their own social media post who makes reference to or retweets something that originated in social media. And the second rule of thumb for me is to recognize that the sources of information that we are typically encountering, whether it be social media or the evening news or reading newspapers online, all of those exist on a continuum that rests somewhere at one end from more vetted, more professional sources to completely unvetted, unprofessional sources. And the kinds of social media I talked about a moment ago are at this end of the spectrum, completely unvetted, completely unprofessional. Now, it might be that someone is a physician and wants to weigh in on social media with their, their take or their opinion on, on COVID. Obviously, that person has some expertise, and so their voice is treated a bit differently, but it's still not vetted. Even over here at this end of the spectrum, the more vetted or professional kinds of outlets, though they might, for example, be found to be biased in some way, you have to remember the people that are creating those stories or putting that information out there for public consumption still have to have that material vetted by an editor. It's read by more than one person. It's subject to the editorial philosophies of a larger group of people. And so at least it's gone through some filtering. It's gone through some other eyes that have looked at it. And as long as you are, I think, more likely to consume information at this vetted professional end where individuals, at least I think in good faith, try to adhere to professional ethics and try to adhere to the ethos of their profession, I think you're more likely to find yourself accessing information that can be trusted. But as with anything, whether it's friendships or choosing to attend a Bible class or not, or choosing to patron a business or not, it gets down to who do you trust? And in answering that question, we all have our natural proclivities, we have our natural biases, and I'm just trying to make a, an argument to encourage people of faith, or anyone, to try and choose to put more stock in what's at this end of that continuum that I've just outlined. Yeah, and that's incredibly helpful. And I think that there's that, I'm glad you touched on that idea of trust, credibility, because on the one hand, there, there are the, the sources that we choose whether or not we're going to trust, whether or not we deem them credible. But on the other hand, there is our own credibility. And just like you said, with social media now, it really has given everybody the opportunity to pretend to be journalists, to pretend to, uh, to have a, a hot take on whatever is going on current events wise. And so we all have the opportunity to weigh in with our opinion or with things that we, we want to retweet or to post. And, and I think there's a serious risk that we are losing as Christians, as the church as a whole, are losing credibility when we choose not only to believe things that are not true, but to pass on things that are not true. So if you would speak to that for just a second, and, and what would you encourage Christians to think about before they hit the post button, before they share information or even their own opinion on, on what's going on in the world? What, what would you encourage them to, to take into account? Several things. First, realize that as soon as you post something, as soon as you hit send or post, you lose control of whatever it is you put out there. It can be retweeted, it can be forwarded, it can be sent all over the place. 
And I think you have to realize that those that make use of whatever you say in an online environment might not have your best interests or anyone else's best interests at heart. It can be twisted. It can be used against you. It can be used to make you or your faith or your church community look very, very bad. And I found it all too common that people will put something out there on the internet and then be completely angered by the fact that someone has sent it on or taken it in the wrong way. Um, I remember when I grew up in, in our fellowship, we used to sing a song called Angry Words. And the lyrics of that song, if you're familiar with it, if you're of a certain age anyway, you are familiar with it, the words of that song talk about the hurt those words can do. And I think that when you lose control of what you post, you raise the possibility that those words can hurt. The second thing I would say to speak to that is, I tell everyone, don't post anything ever, anywhere, online, through any social media that has anything to do with your faith or with politics, period. And I, I, it's a harsh rule that I say that because in my experience, both as a college teacher, as a preaching minister for 12 years, as a deacon in the church, as a lifelong Christian, is that you're not going to change anyone's mind by what you tweet or what you retweet or what you post. You may reaffirm some people's ideas, but frankly, people don't need your post to have their ideas reaffirmed. On the other hand, I have all too often seen a lot of hurt and damage done by individuals that have, in the moment, posted something that they might not have thought was inflammatory or they might not have thought was hurtful, but they posted it and it both was inflammatory and was hurtful. And I think to the extent that we as Christians believe that we do love our neighbor and that we want to do nothing out of selfish ambition, that we want to put the interests of others above our own, it's very simple. Don't ever post, forward, retweet, or send on anything related to politics or religion. And the third idea is very simply this. I understand that for many people, they believe that they are taking a stand for something. They feel as if I just have to speak up about this, or I just have to make sure that people know where I stand on this. And I think that the reality is that's a very selfish action. And what I mean by that is not to cast any kind of doubt on their motives. I think they're sincere in that. I think they genuinely, perhaps passionately believe they're taking a stand for what is right. But it's not helpful because oftentimes it simply makes individuals look bad. I have written a book about the loss of faith among emerging adults, among individuals between their 18th and 25th birthday. And I've done research and I've read research on the topic of the loss of faith broadly among Christians of any age. And all of that research convinces me that in particular among young people today, those that are under, say, the age of 30, that they have a rather dim view of what is referred to as organized religion, of the church and of Christians. And all too often what I found is that the kinds of things that well-intentioned, sincere people of goodwill are posting on the internet, are responding to politically, religiously, or socially, it only seeks unintentionally to drive people away and make Christians look bad. I would much prefer people to have an individual one-on-one -on -one conversation with people, face-to-face, -face, properly masked, and adhering to social distancing. But I believe that's a far better way both to persuade people 
to your way of seeing things and a far better way to make the kind of connection with them that is likely to lead to a Christ-like conversation where you speak the truth with love and where you can have yourself interacting in a way that would model what Jesus Christ would want. And, and I'm well aware that what I've just said might sound harsh, and I don't intend it to be that. I'm just trying to speak what I believe to be an accurate assessment of the situation, and I'm fully aware that I may well be violating my own rules by sharing all that with you in this forum. I think that that's incredibly helpful, and I think that that, that warning and that admonition is incredibly helpful, and I think that every Christian, regardless of what they decide to do with that information, what they decide to do with that warning, I think that the fact that you're giving that to us is, is incredibly helpful, and I think that we all need to take it to heart. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Simmons. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate these thoughts you've shared with us. My pleasure. Blessings to you. I'm not sure if I would go as far as Dr. Simmons in saying that we should never share anything about our religion or our politics on social media, but I would certainly, I would certainly rather that we never share anything on those important subjects rather than compromise our credibility, both our own personal credibility and the credibility of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It would be better if we never shared anything than if we shared something that compromises our credibility. You know, just this past week, I was on social media and I got a Facebook message from someone who is very influential within Churches of Christ, someone who is a leader within Churches of Christ. And he shared with me a video that was supposedly of a politician who fell asleep in a television interview. And the caption said something like this. It says, why is this not all over the news? Let's share it. I'll tell you why it wasn't all over the news, because it was fake. The reason why it wasn't on the news is because it was just downright fake. They actually took two different video clips and put them together and made it look like this politician had fallen asleep on the air. So I, of course, wrote back to the person who shared it with me and helped him to understand that it was fake and that it wasn't real. And to his credit, he went out of his way to make sure that he tried to make up for the mistake that he had made and tell everyone with whom he had shared it that it was actually fake. But it just highlights a truth that if you're on social media, you're already aware of that there is so much misinformation. There's so many conspiracy theories. There's so much just flat out lies all over the place. And there's so much that Christians are doing to participate in all of that. So I want us to look at a passage of scripture tonight from Ephesians chapter 4. But before we do, there's two words that I want us to think about tonight. And it's two that I've already shared with you. But they're this. Two things that we need more of are one, discernment. Don't believe everything you hear. And two, discretion. Don't share everything you think. Especially in this age of social media, we need to remember that. One, don't believe everything you hear. And two, don't share everything you think. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and starting in verse 25 because I think that this passage will really help us as we try to navigate being faithfully engaged in our world, not being detached, but also not being entangled and not just swimming along with the cultural currents of our day, but swimming against the current 
as exiles, as followers of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 is all about what does that life of an exile as a new human, as Paul puts it, this new, the Greek word is anthropos, this new man, this new human being. And as we take off the old humanity and we stop living like we used to live and we become this new kind of human being, how should we live our lives? How should we engage with the world around us? And he says in Ephesians 4 and verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So not only does he say put away falsehood, the negative, but also the positive, speak the truth, speak the truth. And then he says, this is why. This is why you speak the truth with your neighbor is because we brothers and sisters in Christ, are all members one of another. We're part of the same body. So I've really been thinking about this passage. When he says, speak the truth with your neighbor, does he mean your neighbor like your fellow Christian or your neighbor like the person out there in the world? I think it could be both. And as you speak the truth to your neighbor in Christ, you're speaking the truth to yourself because we're part of one body. But even beyond that, as you speak the truth to your neighbor out in the world, it impacts us. You bless the body of Christ by speaking the truth in the world. By, by speaking falsehood in the world, of course, you, you bring condemnation on the body. You bring pain on the body. We belong to each other. And you can't share a falsehood without it affecting the rest of the body. I can't share a falsehood without it affecting the rest of the body. If I share something that's not true, it affects everybody within the church. If you share something that's not true, it affects everyone in the church. Just because something seems true or just because you want it to be true doesn't make it true. So as followers of Jesus, as people who've put off the old man and put on the new man, the new humanity, then we need to make sure that we put aside falsehood and we only speak the truth. In verse 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. See, I think this is one of the areas where we become so entangled in Americanism we get so entangled in being citizens of a certain state or citizens of a certain country that we, we become so enthralled, so dogmatic, so angry about the people who get elected or the people that don't get elected or the policies that get passed or the policies that don't get passed. And our identity and our hope is all tied up in these carnal, earthly, temporary things. And we get so incredibly angry. And not only do we get angry, but in our anger, we sin. And Paul says that we often, in our anger, we give opportunity to the devil. I mean, take a look at our world. Take a look at what we see on the news. Take a look at what we see on social media. Take a look at how we see Christian people talking to and talking about each other. And, and ask ourselves, is Satan using this opportunity in our anger? Are we giving Satan an opportunity to drive a wedge between us? Paul says, don't let that happen. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't be bitter. Don't hold on to this anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Church, 
if we're not careful and we swing to that entangled extreme of engaging with our world around us and we get our our hope and our identity all wrapped up in the the citizen in the citizenship of this country then then our anger gets the best of us and satan uses that opportunity to drive a wedge between us he uses that opportunity to rob us of hope to rob us of peace to rob us of joy look at verse 28 Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now notice that he says, when you leave that old humanity and you become a new kind of human, if you were a thief before, not only do you stop stealing, but beyond that, you work hard with your hands, not just so you can provide for yourself. Look what he says. He says, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The reason we become honest, the reason we become hardworking is not just so that we don't sin. And it's not just so that we can provide for ourselves. It's so that we can provide for our neighbor. Again, being faithfully engaged, seeking the welfare of our neighbors. This is just what followers of Jesus do. Look at verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk. How much? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If what we say and what we share isn't good for building up and giving grace, then it isn't fit for a Christian to say and share. I mean, think about that for a second. Paul says everything that comes out of your mouth, and that would include everything that you type with your thumbs or that you type with your fingers, everything you say, everything you share needs to be for building up. It needs to be full of grace. And if it's not, if it's not full of grace, if it's not for building up, if it's only for tearing down, then it has no place within the speech of followers of Jesus. And Paul says this, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When when we let corrupting talk come out of our mouth, when we let words, thoughts, and ideas come out of us that tear down and that are not grace-filled, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. I mean, just stop and think about that. When, when we type and write and share all kinds of lies and half-truths, and things that, that slander people's reputation, and, and things that are, are just mean, and spiteful, and hurtful, and unkind, and rude. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, that's not why I sealed you for the day of redemption. That's not how I sealed you. This is not what the new humanity looks like. Yes, care about your neighbors. Yes, care about your community. Yes, like the Jews in Babylon, seek the welfare of the city. But in your pursuit of seeking the welfare of the city, don't let any corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Only let what is good for building up and is full of grace. It gives grace to those who hear. Only let that kind of speech come from your mouth. Look at verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. 
Now, how about that word clamor? <laughs> we don't really talk about clamor very much. Bitterness, wrath, anger, we know those probably. But clamor means, literally, it, it means to shouting back and forth as if in a quarrel. Shouting back and forth as in a quarrel. Do, do, do you recognize that? Isn't that exactly what it looks like when we become entangled in Americanism, when our identity and our citizenship and our hope and our life and who we are and what we want and what we're seeking is all tied up in being a citizen of a certain country. When that happens and we get so enthralled and we become so dogmatic and we become so entangled, then our speech is full of clamor shouting back and forth. And Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. How about that word slander? It means speech that that denigrates or defames. Speech that denigrates or defames. So much of our political talk. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be engaged in politics in some way, shape, or fashion. But I am saying that as followers of Jesus, our speech should never denigrate or defame people. We should speak well of people. If we, as, as Thumper said in Bambi, if we don't have anything nice to say, maybe it's best we don't say anything at all. And Paul would say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Malice is mean-spiritedness, being mean-spirited, being vicious, trying to hurt people. So much of what is said on social media when it pertains to politics, it's mean-spirited, it's vicious, and such has no place coming out of the mouth or out of the mind or from the fingertips of followers of Jesus. Verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. These are the kinds of things. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And this applies to how we engage in politics. Again, I'm not saying you have to vote. I'm not saying to vote. I'm not saying not to vote. I'm not saying to, to uh, promote a candidate or not promote a candidate. But I am saying that to whatever extent we engage in politics, this is the kind of character. This is the kind of behavior. This is the kind of speech that followers of Jesus must have. Yes, care about politicians, care about policies, care about the laws that are passed or not passed, but do not, do not sacrifice your character and your credibility by sharing things that aren't true, by saying things that are mean and vicious, things that are slanderous, that only seek to ruin the reputation of people. Let that never come from the mouth or the fingers of followers of Jesus. So how about we put it this way? If we sum it all up, online or in person, our speech should be one true, edifying, grace-filled, free of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. 
This is the way followers of Jesus talk. This is what the speech of exiles looks like. Yes, it's not the way that that the currents of our culture are flowing. It's not. Either on the right or on the left, no matter where you look, this isn't the common way of talking. This isn't the common way of living, but it is the exile way of living. It is the way of living that followers of Jesus must embrace. If we don't live this way, if we don't talk this way, if we don't engage online or in person this way, then we grieve the Holy Spirit. So again, let's close with the idea that we need two things so very much. One, discernment. Don't believe everything that you hear. And two, discretion. Don't share everything that you think. Exiles are not detached people, but nor are exiles entangled people. Exiles are faithfully engaged. Exiles swim against the current.